The Bible Study Podcast, episode 134. Today, the Bible Study Podcast continues the study of Luke with Luke chapter 22. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. The book of Luke is rapidly winding down here. We are still in Holy Week, and this chapter, chapter 22, deals with Thursday of Holy Week, sometimes called Monday Thursday. Beginning in verse 1. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, called the Passover, was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard, and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them, when no crowd was present. It's probably not surprising that Judas is not a popular children's name anymore, because Judas's name becomes basically synonymous with betrayal. We don't know why Judas betrays Jesus. Some think Judas may have been trying to force Jesus' hand, get Jesus to try and proclaim his kingdom here on earth. We do know that he repents of this later on, or at least he regrets this later on, but we don't know his motivation. It doesn't look like he went, at least in this verse, and went and asked for money, although there is suspicion that is brought about elsewhere in the Gospels that Judas may have been skimming off the top from the money. He was the one who kept the money. So maybe Maybe Judas just wasn't really ever quite with them. Maybe Judas lost faith because of some of the things that Jesus has said over this last week. Maybe he's looking for a different Messiah than the one he is seeing in Jesus, one who will drive out the Romans. We don't really know. And Luke's explanation is very simple, that Satan entered Judas. And it continues on, Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, As you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things, just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. 
I'm going to pause there for a second. As we look at this, Jesus is celebrating the Passover, and he is either, and depending on who you listen to, prepared it ahead of time with someone else in secret and lets the disciple in it, or knows more supernaturally that this room is available. In either case, they find the room, the upper room, where they are going to prepare and where they're going to eat the Passover. The Passover celebration, obviously a very important celebration within the Jewish community, and celebrating the Exodus, celebrating when God delivers his people from Israel, when God is going to kill the firstborn of Egypt, but will pass over the houses of those who believe in him and who take the Passover lamb and eat it in a very specific way with their shoes on their feet and their rod in their hand, ready to move, ready for God's deliverance, and then take the blood of that lamb and they mark the doorposts of the house. And so the Passover lamb becomes the means at which they are delivered from this last of the plagues in Egypt. And so as Jesus is celebrating this Passover, he tells his disciples, I'm eager to eat this. I won't be doing this again until the fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Jesus is, we say, the Passover lamb. Jesus is the fulfillment of that which the Passover lamb looked at, which is the sparing of his people from punishment. That basically there was nothing wrong with the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb hadn't done anything that it deserved to be killed, but it was killed as a means of deliverance. And so Jesus is killed not because he was sinful, but he is killed as a means of deliverance for our sin by taking our sins upon him. And so he says, I won't eat this again before I suffer, and I won't eat it again before it finds fulfillment. So all of that whole thing with the Passover was looking forward to this day, looking forward to the Thursday and the Friday of Holy Week. And then he takes the cup and he takes the bread and he does something that is quite possibly very familiar to you, depending on which church you grew up in or which church you attend. This is something that most Christian churches do in some form or another. It is called the Eucharist. It is called communion. It is called the breaking of the bread. It is called the Lord's meal and a number of different names. But basically, Jesus says to do this in remembrance of him. And there have been numerous debates in terms of different denominations within the Christian church what this means, whether this is Jesus' body and blood, whether this stands for Jesus' body and blood, whether we do it in remembrance, whether there is physical transformation. I don't personally find that that is worth splitting a church over because I think the things that are clear from this verse is that Jesus has been sacrificed that Jesus' body and blood were broken and shed for us, and that we are supposed to remember that. That is, I think, the most important thing we can get out of this chapter and verse. And the rest of it, consubstantiation, transubstantiation, all these other theological terms, frankly, I don't think matter that much. And as you may know, if you've listened to the show, I grew up in a Lutheran church, and the Lutherans find themselves somewhat in the middle of that argument anyway, in the sense that not to the right or the left of that argument. And I went for a while to an Episcopal church, and they used white wine, and I wondered if there was some theological symbolism for white wine versus red wine, red wine obviously more clearly designating blood, and they said, yes, it doesn't stain as much. And I think that that is a very practical way to look at communion. Basically, what we're doing here is remembering what Jesus did, and I think there is some flexibility in terms of whether it be grape juice, whether it be wine, or the details of the actual practice. 
And you may notice that the verse that the disciples pay so much attention to, now they're not getting in verses, but when Jesus says that he is going to be betrayed, that's the part that they pay attention to. They don't pay attention to, this is my body and this is my blood, nearly as much as they do that the hand of the one who's going to betray me is on the table. I don't know whether everybody immediately put their hands up in the air as a way of getting away from that, but they debated among themselves who it was going to do that. And then it continues, Also a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. But when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, When I sent you without purse or bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, But now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, And he was numbered with the transgressors, and I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, See, Lord, here are two swords. That is enough, he replied. So, still at this point, Jesus is just about to finish his earthly ministry. At this point, they still don't get it, and they're still fighting about who's the greatest. It took longer for that lesson, it seems, than almost any other one. There's at least three times that I can think of where the disciples are caught arguing about who's the greatest. Not getting that Jesus, who is the greatest, is coming as the suffering servant. Not getting that we are, as Jesus said, not to be like that. I think that is a lesson that we continue to struggle with. It is difficult for us to lay ourselves aside, to put others' needs ahead of ours, and to be servants, especially especially when we're put in positions of authority and leadership. And then Jesus says specifically to Simon, to Peter, that he is going to be tested. His faith is going to be sifted like wheat. And it's useful to note that Jesus knows that Peter will fail that test. Jesus says when you've turned back, when you come back after failure, and he specifically points out to Peter, because Peter's bravado here, Peter says that he will follow Jesus to death or to prison, he has to specifically say, no, in fact, you will reject me. You'll reject me three times, and you'll do it today. Despite the fact that Jesus knows that Peter will reject him, Jesus does not reject Peter. Jesus believes in Peter even if Peter fails to believe in himself or fails to believe in Jesus this night and will fail. And then Jesus goes on to give this cryptic comment about bringing purses and swords and 
it seems that what he is saying here is that things are changing. I'm not going to be with you. And so before you went without cloak, you went without purse, but now take them. And I think the real message here is things are going to be different. I'm not going to be with you any longer, in the same way at least. We're going to continue on next week with Jesus' prayer, with the betrayal, and with the trial of Jesus. If you have any suggestions for where we should go after the Gospel of Luke, or any comments on this, feel free to leave them at thebiblestudypodcast.com or send me an email to host at thebiblestudypodcast.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.